This passage is certainly timely. Perilous times. I've never seen the like in this nation as I've seen. 86 years I've lived and this is amazing what we see in America today. But I love this passage. After it speaks of all that conflict in the world itself, then Paul said, but you, but, I love that little word in Scripture, don't you? Just a small word, but it says so much. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have heard them, and that from childhood you have known holy scriptures. And then we read all scripture. It's interesting when the American Standard Bible first came out, it said all scripture inspired of God. It didn't say all scripture is inspired. Don't always trust the new versions that are coming out. I remember that was, I was in college at the time and in our chapel we had a man on that spoke on this very subject and he pointed out it's not all scripture that's inspired, but all scripture is. Big difference, isn't it? Big difference. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, <clears throat> that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, without question, the warning that Paul gave in this passage concerning the future state of the church had come to fruition even in Paul's day as he had to write to the church at Galatia, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the truth, from the gospel. And by the middle of the second century, since the birth of Christ, the church had, had dealt with many and serious errors in her midst. Because the church and the church itself, men had become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, tra of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. The Holy Spirit was not only looking at the church of that day and time, but he saw the church of the day, didn't he? And the conditions that we live in today. So even all these errors continue even down to our day today. For that godless mindset is clearly evident in the world of unbelief. We see today a hatred for God. We look around our land, there's chaos in our land looting, burning, and rejecting of law and order. And so that warning that Paul gave Timothy certainly is good for us today. From such turn away. It's become a necessity in our lives today, hasn't it? And by the 16th century, the great falling away had become most evident in the 16th century when Charles V, emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, and the rulers of the church called before them a monk by the name of Martin Luther. Luther, by the grace of God, 
had become aware of the serious errors of the teaching of the visible church of that day. You know, I know that Reformation Sunday comes up in about six more Sundays, but I thought it might prepare our hearts this morning. For on October 31st, 1517, Dr. Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church. They were written to point out the grievous errors of the selling of indulgences for the remission of sin as being sold as a means of deliverance from purgatory. And since that time, as he now called before the emperor, he had written many tracts proclaiming salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone. Those solas of the Reformation are a blessing, aren't they? Aren't you thankful they've come down to us today? We are the heritage of the Reformation, dear ones. Anyway, the Emperor Charles V had summoned Luther to appear before the Imperial Diet of Worms to renounce his views. That was what was required of him. And his response at that time has been called the foundational cry of the Reformation. When he said before the Emperor and the princes of the Holy Roman Empire, and these words resound in our ears this morning, that he, having been ordered to recant the teachings of his writings, he responded, If I now recant these, then I would be doing nothing but strengthening tyranny. Now, he did apologize for the harsh tones of his writings. Martin Luther was a little rough at times. I sort of say what he referred to the Pope as, but I won't. <laughs> but he could be a little harsh in his responses. But he said, I do not reject the substance of what I teach within them. Then he concluded by saying these words, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. He went on to say, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. From that statement came the great cry of the Reformation, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Thus came the cry of the Reformation that continues down to us this morning, which simply proclaims that all we believe and all we teach in the church must, and I emphasize must, be founded on Scripture alone. Amen? Amen. Must be, Amen. dear ones. So let's look at this passage before us this morning to see why we can be secure in our faith when we require Scripture alone as the only safe foundation of our faith and practice. 
So let's look at the reason for our assurance that is found in these words that we read this morning that our brother read. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. So we need to ask then, well, what is the meaning of the word translated here as by inspiration? All scripture is given by inspiration. Well, the Greek word here is theonoustos, which is here translated inspiration, but it's a combination of two different Greek words. Theos, being the Greek word for God, and phineo, being the Greek word for to breathe. So let's look then at that word. What does it mean that all scripture is God breathe? Well, when you're speaking, what do you do? You take in a breath. Have you ever tried to speak and let all the air out of your lungs and then try to continue speaking? Don't do it in front of people. <laughs> it's silly. You cannot do it. So first you take a deep breath and then you speak and while you are speaking, you are breathing out. So when one speaks, we are simply breathing out. When God speaks, it's breathing out. In Acts chapter 9, we read that Paul, on the way to Damascus, was doing what? Breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. Aren't you glad whom God calls to be the apostle to the Gentiles? <laughs> It was breathing out, threatenings and slaughter. And the next thing we heard, what do you want me to do, Lord? I love that. By the way, that speaks of the sovereignty of God in salvation. Paul was not seeking Jesus on the way to Damascus. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the Lord. And God spoke to him, brought him to his knees, in Psalm 33, verse 6, we read that by the word of God, the heavens were made and all the host of them, how? By the breath of his mouth. Here, the breath of his mouth simply means God spoke the heavens into existence. Indeed, in verse 9, it clarifies the meaning for in verse 9, we read, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. So when we read that God breathed Holy Scripture, this is God speaking through his written word. And although Scripture is penned by men, it is in fact men writing down what God has breathed out. That is the very words from the mouth of God. Words that God himself was breathing out. That is words that God is speaking that's why when I read Holy Scripture before I come to my message, I like to point out that this is God himself speaking to us in his written word. We can understand then that what Paul is saying here is simply all Scripture is God speaking to us. That's what Scripture is. When you open up your Bible, that's God speaking to you. When you have your morning or evening devotions or whenever you have them in your home, that is God speaking to you. As our brother read the scriptures this morning, that was God himself speaking to us. Therefore, we can say without a doubt 
that as we read scripture, it is God himself speaking. You know, the world of unbelief will say that scripture contains the word of God. As I mentioned, that one translation that came out in the 1950s. But it rejects the truth that the scripture is, and what a difference, the scripture is the very word of God. For this truth remains, the scripture does not merely contain the word of God. The scripture is the word of God. It's good to know that, isn't it? When you open your Bible... You're not reading what Paul has to say. Or if you're reading the book of Genesis, you're not reading what Moses had to say, what he thought. Or the book of Psalms, what David had in mind, or Isaiah, or Luke. But when you read Holy Scripture, it is God himself speaking to you. Now, how do we know this? Well, we have the witness of Christ himself. And that's a good witness, isn't it? The witness of Christ himself concerning the absolute authority of Holy Scripture. When Satan tempted Christ, remember what Satan said to him? I want you to fall down and worship me and I'll give you all these great kingdoms. And how did Jesus respond? Well, my opinion, or the opinion of the councils, no, he didn't say that. Jesus responded, it is written. Every time you see those words in the New Testament, whether it's by Christ himself speaking or the apostles writing, it's wonderful to understand. It is written. It is God's word. And so Jesus responded, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Satan, I'm not going to fall down. <laughs> Bow to you. It is written. So here, Jesus is clearly quoting Scripture as absolute authority in our lives. When Jesus was telling the Pharisees that rejecting him and rejecting the thought that he was the Son sent by the Father, he asked, have you not read the Scriptures? What a question to ask people in the church. Have you not read the Scriptures? I know many a time I've had uh, liberal preachers that I've been speaking to, well, the resurrection isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. I have to look at them and say, have you not read the scriptures? <laughs> or Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Have you not claimed? Have you not read the scriptures? And so that's how Christ answered these Pharisees. Have you not read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is simply an Old Testament quote from Psalm 118.22. Jesus is using scripture as authority, as proof that he is indeed the promised Messiah. That's why I say when you're witnessing, you don't say my church believes or my pastor teaches, but you quote scripture and say God says. <laughs> Amen. God says. And you can say that. You see, Jesus here is clearly giving witness to the absolute authority and truthfulness of Holy Scripture. In John 10, 36, here's the witness Christ gave to Holy Scripture. 
when he said that the scriptures are without error, he said the scriptures cannot be broken. When you read Holy Scripture, there's a promise. When Scripture says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Hallelujah. <laughs> that is going to take place if you confess your sins and ask forgiveness. He is faithful and just, just because he made a way whereby he could not overlook our sins, but provide a covering for our sin. So it's good to know that the scriptures cannot be broken. John Stott, an Anglican clergyman, said, It is not conceivable that the followers of Jesus should have a lower view of scripture than Jesus did. I like that. It's not conceivable, dear ones, that we should have a lower view of Holy Scripture than Christ himself had. So if we accept the authority of Christ, we must accept the authority of Holy Scripture. You see, Jesus spoke of no authority outside of Scripture. So our passage this morning that our brother read speaks of the completeness and the sufficiency of Holy Scripture. For here, Paul instructed us in the following manner. First of all, speaking of the inspired word of God, he said, it is profitable. What's he saying? It's great value for doctrine. It's a great value for whatever we believe, for our teaching as to what we are to believe. It is profitable. It is the only sound means to determine what we are to believe and what we are to teach. Secondly, he said it is sufficient for our reproof, for our need in correcting error. Dear ones, it's the only safe means of correcting us when we err, either in doctrine or in life. It's the only safe means that we guide our daily life with that we guide what we believe and what we teach in the church. And then I love the phrase when he says, it's complete for our instruction in righteousness on how to live. Dear ones, we need nothing more than Holy Scripture. Amen? Amen. We need nothing more than Holy Scripture in what we believe as a church, as a congregation. We need nothing more than Holy Scripture to guide our daily walk in what we should do and should not do, how we're to conduct ourselves before the world. We need nothing more than Holy Scripture. It is God speaking to us, saying it's complete. Thus this passage is saying that as believers, having Scripture alone, we are thoroughly and fully equipped for life and death and faith. When we read Holy Scripture, what are we reading? What are we hearing? We are hearing God speaking to us. We need nothing more to tell us who God is and who we are and what life is all about. For in the book of Acts, Paul, when he stood before the pagans in Athens, Greece, he spoke to them and he, remember they had the 
altar to the unknown God. He says, I'm going to tell you who he is. I'm going to tell you who this God is that you do not know. They went on to say, for in him we live and move and have our being. What does scripture say there, dear ones? We are because God is. If God is not, then we would not be. I know every once in a while I'll have someone say, well, how do you know God is? I say, well, are you standing there? Like, yeah. Am I standing here? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> how did we get here? If it wasn't for God, we would not exist. For in him we live and move and have our being. I want to read the whole context of that passage. I didn't have room in your notes to include it, but I want to read it. Remember, he's speaking to those who have this altar to an unknown God. And he says about this God, he, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined the pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings that they should seek in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You see, truly, sola scriptura, scripture alone, provides all we need to know about God and about ourselves. You see, we often have wrong opinions of ourselves. Well, I'm not so bad. What's your hope of heaven? Well, I'm doing my best. Dear ones, you're in trouble. Because <laughs> your best falls short of the glory of God. We need Jesus Christ. So we need the scriptures to tell us that we're not fit for heaven. And our only fitness is through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We learn that God is eternal in Holy Scripture, sufficient in and of himself and all-powerful, that he is truth itself. We read this in Isaiah 46. Again, God speaking to us when he said, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Get a little disturbed about what's happening in the world today? A little disturbed when you look at the news? You see looting? You see burning of homes, of factories, of businesses? You see chaos in the land? Get a little disturbed. Well, dear ones, in times of, con of conflict, these words are a great comfort. My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. What is that saying? Nothing is happening in this day and time that God is not in control of. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Aren't you glad for that this morning, dear one? This is the comfort that we have from Holy Scripture. My counsel should stand. It is also from Scripture that we learn that we are sinners in need of redemption. In Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death 
through sin, and thus thus death passed to all men because all sinned. We are under the wrath of God by nature. When did you become a sinner? Well, when I was in the Arminian church, we thought it was around age eight. (laughs) My mama thought it was around age three months. No, dear ones, in sin did my mother conceive me. We sin because we're sinners. We do not become sinners because we sin. And we need to understand that, that we are sinners. We need a Savior. That's why I said when someone says, I'm doing my best, I say, you're in trouble, dear ones. You need Jesus Christ. You need the forgiveness of your sin. You need to put your trust and faith in that one who left the glories of heaven above became man that he might suffer death in our place and deliver us. For the Bible tells us that through one man, the first Adam, sin passed upon all of us. But through the second Adam, forgiveness and life everlasting. So we learn that the work of Christ is sufficient for providing our salvation. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name. I remember one time I was witnessing to someone and I was giving all the reasons why we, Christ alone, and we were debating and debating. And finally I said, well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He said, well, why didn't you tell me that in the first place? <laughs> I spent all that time with my opinions. And then I quoted Jesus. Oh, Jesus said he's the only way. That you cannot come to the Father except through him. So we learn that the work of Christ alone is sufficient for providing salvation. We learn that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Holy Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved. And what is grace? Unmerited favor. I know somebody out there knows that. <laughs> she was in catechism class and repeated that phrase often. For by grace alone, for by grace, by unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus Christ this morning? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ this morning? It's not because you're a little smarter than the guy down the street, dear ones. It's because of a gracious gift God has given you through his Holy Spirit. Faith, trust, and confidence. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul warned, though, that the church would in time have a form of godliness but deny its power. And this is evident in much of the church today, isn't it? And thinking back to the words of Martin Luther, it was so very true at the time of the Reformation. 
Jesus said that men err by not knowing the scriptures or the power of God, nor the power of God. Matthew 22, verse 29. You are mistaken. He's talking to leaders of the church, priests and Pharisees. You are mistaken. Why? Not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. By not knowing scripture, one cannot know God aright. One cannot know the power of God. You see, at the time of the Reformation, the church had placed both tradition and church herself as the authority, placed themselves above Holy Scripture. And once the church set aside Scripture alone, as the absolute authority, they were denying the power and authority of God himself. See, this is why Martin Luther could and did say, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, or in the Reformed Church in the United States, that's us. We don't trust in the church. That they have often erred and contradicted themselves. Then he used these words, I am bound by scripture. I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it's neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Can you see that with Martin Luther this morning? I am bound by the scriptures alone. My conscience is captive to the word of God. So I'm not captive to traditions of men but I am captive to the word of God. And that thought, every time I enter a pulpit, that thought brings a certain fear to my heart and mind. Lord, let me teach nothing from this pulpit but what you have said in your holy word. Amen. So what have we learned this morning? Well, either, dear ones, the Bible is the word of God or it is useless mean that it's either the word of God or it's useless it's a waste of time if it's not the word of God don't waste your time reading it and it'd be foolish to obey it if it was not the word of God if it was not God himself speaking to us in that word but we have learned that scripture alone is sufficient to instruct us in the way to heaven for it is God himself speaking to us Paul tells us that if there is no resurrection, then we are without hope. Well, that's what Paul wrote. That's what God said. The same is true of the Bible. If the Bible is not God's word, if the Bible is not truth, then man has no sound authority or ability to know anything. But here's what we can take great comfort in. What we read this morning, all scripture, 
from Genesis to Revelation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God speaking and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Isn't that Complete. We need nothing more. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone is still the only sound foundation for the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that at the time of the Reformation, you raised up godly men. Men who were bound by Scripture alone. Men who proclaimed that their conscience was captive to the Word of God. For we do thank you this morning that you have given to us the Holy Scriptures. Sweeter than honey. Of greater value than all the gold of the world. So we give you thanks this morning for the scriptures that you have given us in your love and mercy, which indeed are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we as your people may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We give you humble thanks in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.